Welcome to Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast with Elizabeth Crawford, where I dish with trendsetters, tastemakers, and industry experts about everything from emerging trends to regulatory pressures to marketing strategies. As many schools negotiate how to teach children safely during the ongoing coronavirus pandemic, they're also having to navigate how to feed them, a challenge that will require creativity and cooperation from regulators, legislators, and school nutrition professionals, as well as food and beverage brands and service providers. Since the pandemic was declared and many schools transitioned to virtual learning, many districts have continued to provide free meals to students in need through the Summer Food Service Program and the Seamless Summer Option, with help from a laundry list of waivers approved by the U.S. Department of Agriculture to simplify paperwork and allow participants to pick up food rather than consume it at feeding sites. Now, just as many of those waivers and programs are set to expire, USDA this week extended many necessary waivers for schools to continue providing free meals to qualifying students through the end of September and committed to continually calculating remaining appropriate funds through the Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security Act to determine how far we may be able to provide waivers in the future. However, citing funding uncertainty, the department stopped short of a legislator's request to extend the summer food service program and seamless summer operation nationwide, which would have waived area eligibility to alleviate school administrative burdens and allow other community organizations to distribute meals, as they were able to during the first months of the pandemic. Against this backdrop, several nonprofits, food manufacturers, and food service providers have stepped in to help school districts feed students and their families during the pandemic. Among those is Revolution Foods, whose CEO, Kristen Gross Richmond, discusses in this episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast how the pandemic has complicated and heightened the need for feeding students. She also shares best practices for feeding children this fall, whether classes are online, in the classroom, or a hybrid model. And finally, she calls on the food and beverage industry to help fill the gaps not directly addressed by the school meal program, such as feeding students on the weekends and ensuring their caregivers and siblings who are not in school also have enough to eat. As an organization that provides approximately 3 million meals a week to students throughout school districts, Revolution Foods is intimately familiar with both what children want to eat and what they need to eat, and Gross Richmond says her team strives to provide culturally relevant, healthy foods with dignity. In addition, with nearly 15 years of experience, Revolution Foods has fed children and families in all types of situations. So that when the pandemic hit, Gross Richmond said Revolution Foods was able to work closely with schools to adjust meal solutions to fit the needs of their students and staff within the new constraints of social distancing and distance learning. Our school leaders and food service operators are some of the most dedicated um, community members when it comes to ensuring that you know, students have not just optional, but reliable meals every day. Um, you're probably aware of the statistic that uh, about 22 million K-12 students in a normal environment, uh, so 
normal, meaning, uh, as you said, sort of before March, um, K-12 students receive uh, free reduced uh, cost lunch meals through schools. So what I like to say is these are not, uh, the, this is not a situation for most um school leaders and food service administrators of serving kind of optional meals. In many, many cases, families are depending on schools as a reliable source of nutrition for their kids. And that's why, you know, we hear of more food insecurity in the summer when schools are out or, you know, kids going home with backpacks on the weekend. Um, we know that oftentimes, you know, it's the, the entire family struggling with food insecurity. So we think the latest statistic has, the latest statistic from Brookings Institute has said that two of five families with children under 12 are um, self-reporting food insecurity at this point. So that's just, it's just an astronomical number. In terms of participation, so we know from a macroeconomic level that close to 40 million Americans are unemployed. And we know that, um, we know, so we know unemployment has gone up. We know that 30 million Americans uh, reported that they did not have enough to eat. Um, so separately, outside of the NSLP landscape. Um, so we know that the need is going up and is unlikely to go down anytime soon due to persistent unemployment and, as you said, kind of the rocky road managing COVID and true reopenings and, and jobs. Um, so we know need is going up. Gross Richmond also argues that providing well-balanced nutrition during the pandemic is essential to students' academic performance, which could be at risk if they have inequitable access to distance learning resources. I mean, these meals not only provide a stable uh, sense of nutrition, but they contribute heavily to driving academic outcomes. So we now have a, a study, a multi-year study from a third-party research institute that correlates you know, a healthy meal program with double-digit improvements to be exact 13.1% increase in English language arts scores across kind of three or four states. So um, this is not just a, it, it's important for um, nutrition and uh, nourishment of children from a health standpoint. It's incredibly important from a um, driving academic outcomes and setting setting kids up to succeed so that they have sort of the, the life and, and growth and career path of their, their dreams. With so much on the line, Gross Richmond said that Revolutions Foods leaned into creating flexible solutions for its meal programs and cultivate best practices that schools can emulate as they prepare for the start of the academic year. Again, whether that's online, in person, or as a hybrid model. When, when schools shut down, we did a few things as um, you know, we, we really like to um, be thought of from our partners and others as the go-to resource for healthy um, kid-inspired chef-crafted meals. And so we really stepped up with our partners. Um, you know, number one, we realized that continuing to provide students with, with meals and not just any meals, but meals that nourish their mind and body, which is what we focus on, was critical. 
Um, we leaned in really hard to create flexible solutions for our meal programs. Um, you know, in some cases that was, you know, kind of the same product line we were using. In some cases that was actually building new product lines um, that would accommodate a variety of school reopening and meal distribution scenarios. So uh, individual meals, multi-day uh, meal boxes, family style um, meal boxes, pantry boxes. So, you know, as I said, we've served both uh, students and families and adults. So making sure that, you know, if, if schools could only have a twice a week pickup, our meal product and set reflected, you know, balanced nutrition for the days necessary, which in some cases, multi-days, and in some cases included whole families. Um, you know, we, we focused on developing distribution plans that factored in staffing needs, safety, 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 as you can imagine, has been top of the list. So making sure that we could work together both internally on our side and with our school and city partners to factor in the staffing um, and distribution model that would work at these pickup sites. In some cases, there's been door-to-door -door delivery, like in, in New York City, we've partnered with uh, the city of New York. This is outside of schools. Um, but the city of New York to deliver multi-day family meal boxes and then taxi drivers um, contracted by New York uh, delivered door-to-door. -door. In other cases, there have been bus deliveries door-to-door -door for families who couldn't come to pick up because they were sick or homebound. Based on this experience, Gross Richmond said that schools continuing with remote learning in the fall should consider innovative best practices for streamlined distribution, including providing multi-day meal kits and flexible delivery or pickup programs. For remote learning, we'll move back to kind of what we did primarily in uh, March through May, um, which is community uh, pickup sites and innovative um, distribution methods um, with distribution partners if it's sort of a door-to-door -door model. Um, but you know, in, in one of our major districts, we're already planning, um, you know, multi-day a week pickup site model where we'll be delivering 50,000 to 100,000 meals um, for each delivery that will include multi-day food, uh, food kits that are reimbursed um, by the, the current um, the current USDA uh, reimbursement pattern, so National School Lunch Program and, um, you know, Child and Adult Care Food Program. And then we'll also work everywhere we can with philanthropy um, to be able to include family meals um, in that pickup so that not just children are fed, but whole families are fed. That's obviously more challenging because it requires um, – it requires a different source of funding in many cases. Schools offering in-person education likely will need to completely rethink how they serve meals, given feeding children together in cafeterias is off the table, with limitations and safety precautions around large groups gathering inside. So that means that um, the format of meals will likely need to change. So. Um, meals that are prepackaged um, in a safe production environment and are able to be distributed into classrooms, um, which, by the way, you know, we've been serving breakfast in the classroom for or providing breakfast in the classroom products for years. So it's not a, an entirely new concept, but 
not every school does that on a regular basis. And it's, you know, there are considerations around, um, you know, sourcing those products. Um, in our case, we're a, a, you know, big provider of, of, you know, high quality versions of those. But for general, just if I'm a school leader sourcing those products or figuring out a way to create those products in-house, um, which requires new machinery, it requires new packaging, it requires new safety safety precautions in terms of your operating protocols and your GMPs or your good manufacturing practices, um, and then, you know, transporting those meals to classrooms. And, you know, in some cases, like having been in, you know, hundreds of, of schools, it's like in some cases, no big deal. You're walking down the, the hallway and other schools, you know, with older facilities or in, you know, kind of oldest school in the nation district buildings, a whole different ball of wax to try to, you know, transport and move meals. Um, you're eating and you're presumably feeding in the classroom, um, which is already set up for distance learning. Schools teaching in person also should carve out additional time for students to collect meals as they'll likely need to go to pickup sites in smaller groups and staff will need additional time for cleaning between the groups as necessary. Gross Richmond also suggests implementing mobile point-of-service systems or class rosters for accurate counting and claiming procedures if there are multiple meal pickup sites at a school, such as in the cafeteria, outside classrooms, or in other spaces. The third option, a hybrid of online and in-person learning, in many ways will be the most challenging for school nutrition professionals to navigate, as they'll need to create new in-person feeding strategies, as well as determine meal pickup procedures for days when students are off campus. Gross Richmond recommends choosing between sending students home for meals for the next day at the end of the campus, or having parents pick them up would then take us back to the model that um, we've been using in family pickups, uh, which have been, you know, distributing multi-day meal boxes or in some cases um, uh, bags of food. Um, the, the benefit with like the multi-day meal boxes is we're able to um, clearly delineate, you know, what to eat when, and then any, you know, cooking or um, safety or perishability instructions along with those meals so that you kind of have a roadmap. I mean, it's like a, you know, it's a, it's a, it's effectively a meal kit, right, for families, but the meals are um, prepackaged and they um, are consistent with meeting, in our case, exceeding um, USDA uh, guidelines for nutrition. So they're all reimbursable as well. And you have a combination of we primarily do fresh, um, but in some cases, depending on the platform, it might be appropriate to also provide shelf-stable meals as well. Um, and for some kids and families who are not, ho- who are not housing secure, um, as, as much as it pains me to say that, but they're you know, living in an environment where they don't have a refrigerator, they don't have an oven or a stove, like they're literally, you know, dealing with homelessness, um, then we're looking at shelf-stable meals um, so that we know that those meals are going to stay safe for them. While schools are reimbursed for meals delivered to qualifying students, the rate is notoriously low, and already tight budgets likely will be tested even more during the pandemic as additional safety and sanitation processes will siphon off limited funds. This could compromise the variety or quality of food that schools can offer. 
a problem that Gross Richmond said food and beverage manufacturers may be able to ease with in-kind or grant donations. Been companies that have, have made significant donations on this front, which have been fantastic. Um, if they had uh, um, excess production or maybe something that's kind of close to shelf date but not expired, um, and you know can quickly put it through a, a, a very fast turn inventory cycle. Um, so there have been, I think, good efforts on that on that front that I've I've seen. Um, I think contributing to uh, you know, again, contributing to some of the grant programs we've seen out there. And I mentioned, you know, Share Our Strength and World Central Kitchen and Action for Healthy Kids. Um, you know, so I would say corporations that can contribute into their local communities to support um, these efforts to combat food um, insecurity. Uh, it's just tremendously, tremendously helpful right now. Product and financial donations also help schools close the food insecurity gap for children on weekends and for their families by enabling them to provide additional food that kids can take home. There's a huge gap on the adult side. So, um, you know, fortunately, the the funding for children and K-12 has remained intact, although we've talked a lot of, you know, in depth about why it's not you know, it's never enough and it's still hard to work within. I think the, you know, advocating for universal free meals is incredibly important and putting together funding pots locally that can support whole families um, so that we're, you know, able to provide meals. Um, you know, if there's a family of five with three kids, you know, if you're sending home three reimbursed meals, um, Clearly, that's not covering the whole family need. So any ability to fund that gap um, for parents and, and families in the interim is, is hugely helpful right now. Um, weekend meals, this is another passion I have right now, is, is just it's so important that we try to, you know, if we could get, if we could have a, a larger funding pot to um, supply weekend meals to students. Um, that's something that is, is incredibly needed right now. So any way that corporations can, um, corporations or, you know, philanthropy can work to support those streams is uh, super helpful right now. Another way that Gross Richmond said that food insecurity can help ensure school children and their families are fed during the ongoing pandemic is to provide more shelf-stable protein options and products made with higher quality, clean ingredients. I think from a supply chain standpoint, um, you know, some of, I, I know one of some of our earliest, our earlier issues were around high quality sources of protein um, where we needed them for different formats, for different packaging formats, if you will, or perishability formats. Since the day we started Revolution Foods, we, we've been committed to clean label food and it's, it's you know, it's, not always easy to find clean label, high quality, you know, product and food that fits within uh, the reimbursable rates that our schools uh, deal with. So it's and that we have to, you know, operate and, and build our business around when it comes to the K-12 segment. So I think more attention on, on you know, product design and um, manufacturing of quality <laughs> um, ingredients is something I would just always send a, a shout out for. We've had to do our own design around so many products because it just haven't, they just haven't been available commercially. I mean, the, the cereal's been, you know, had too much sugar or it's not designed for, um, you know, kind of kids alight, right? Because we try to be both 
clean and and really appealing to students. So there's always a need for more product um, that meets that sort of high quality standard. Gross Richmond also called on industry stakeholders to donate financially to local grant programs that help schools bridge the difference between what they're reimbursed by the government for school meals and the actual cost of higher quality ingredients. And finally, she said industry can help by providing marketing and outreach to parents and caregivers so that they understand where and when to pick up and expect food from schools or other community organizations. Ultimately, Gross Richmond said everyone has a role in ensuring children and their families are well-fed and everyone will benefit. And with that, we've reached the end of another episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast. I hope you'll join me again next week for another installment. And to ensure that you remember, I encourage you to subscribe to us on iTunes. Until next time, this is Elizabeth Crawford wishing you a productive, profitable, and safe week. (laughs) 